friends and welcome to Northern Static, the show where Canadian composers tell us about the state of their art. I'm bassist and composer Pete Johnston, coming to you straight from the heart of Upper Canada. On this show, I talk to composers from a range of musical scenes to find out how they make their music, why it sounds the way it does, and most importantly, what they think we should be listening for when we hear it. In this first episode of the show, I will talk about the music of composer and improviser Ken Aldcroft, with two people who knew the man and his music very well, saxophonist Karen Ng and bassist Wes Neal. Ken was a mighty force in the creative music scene in Toronto, and I offer this whole podcast series in tribute and gratitude for all that he did for me and for so many other musicians. Thanks in advance for lending your ears to Northern Static. Welcome to the first episode of the show. This show will be an 11-episode series of interviews with Canadian composers whose work I want to know more about. The concept for the show is simple. I will sit down and talk with composers about their creative processes, and they will play some compositions of their choice as examples of what they do. Think of it as a group listening session, where the creator of the music is there to guide us through how and why they make the music they do. With that basic premise in mind, the first episode is different from all the rest, which is because the composer who inspired me to do this podcast series sadly passed away before I got a chance to speak with him about his music. Ken Oldcroft was the hardest working man in left field music a prolific composer, adventurous guitarist, and relentless motivator on the Canadian jazz and improvised music scenes. He released dozens of albums of his own compositions and improvisations, toured frequently in North America and Europe, and cultivated a wide range of co-conspirators who were keen to tangle with him in spontaneous improvisation. Ken died very suddenly of a heart attack on a rainy September day in 2016, leaving behind his wife Maria and their son Liam, a large musical community, and a prodigious body of musical work. I had the good fortune to play with Ken many times, and to have him as a neighbor. We saw each other on the street all the time, catching up briefly before going our separate ways, always saying that we should have a beer in the backyard soon so we could really get into some things. The last time I saw him, he was on his porch waiting for some musician friends to come by to play some new arrangements of his music that he was planning to record for a Canada Council grant application. We had our usual quick chat, punctuated by the usual bad jokes, and then I was on my way. While I walked down our street, I had a thought I'd had many times over the 15 years I knew Ken. How does he come up with so much music? He always had so much going on, I often felt like taking a nap after talking to him, or at least like I really needed to start getting my numbers up. As I reached into my pocket for my headphones to listen to an episode of the podcast Sound Opinions, I had the thought that maybe I should start my own show as an excuse to ask Ken all the questions I had for him. From there, I thought I could spin it out to talk with my other composer friends on the scene to learn more about how they put their music together. So, as I walked to the bus, I sketched out a plan. I made a mental list of who I would talk to and resolved I would kick things off with a chat with Ken. And maybe we could have a beer or two while we did it. A few days after I hatched the idea for this show, Ken was gone. His passing brought forth a tremendous outpouring of grief from the music community, and the following months included an emotional memorial concert, a posthumous tour by his Convergence Ensemble, and multiple performances of his music by those who played with him over the years. Ken was famous amongst his friends for plowing through any obstacle to have his music played. So in that spirit of making things happen no matter what, I'm pressing on with my plan to feature his music in this inaugural episode of this podcast. 
We can, of course, have Ken's voice here, but we can get some thoughts, memories, and analysis of his music from some of the musicians who played with him. Ken played with a lot of people over the years, so it was very difficult to choose who to sit down with. I could easily do an 11-episode series on his music alone with different guests every show. Hopefully, someone will do that someday. But for a single episode, who to choose to dig into Ken's music? Circumstance, of course, played its usual part in things, as some crucial people in Ken's musical life were not in town at the time of recording. But I was fortunate enough to find some time to chat with bassist Wes Neal and saxophonist Karen Ng, who played in many of Ken's musical projects. Wes was an obvious choice for me as a bass player. I'm always keen to get the view from the bottom. Wes started playing with Ken in the early 2000s, holding the bass chair in the Convergence Ensemble, which was Ken's main musical project, from their first record in 2016 to the end of his life. This band was a living laboratory for Ken's investigations into the relationship between improvisation and composition, and I knew Wes would be able to break down how this group would work through Ken's tunes. Saxophonist Karen Ng is perhaps the busiest horn player in Toronto, playing in dozens of bands, often in a single evening it seems. Karen joined the Convergence Ensemble halfway through the band's life, following the departure of original saxophonist Evan Shaw. Ken started another project in the early 2010s called Threads, which was a more composition-heavy group inspired by Henry Threadgill, and Karen played in that group as well. With her involvement in these two very different projects, I felt she would have some interesting insight to offer on Ken's compositional practices. So that's the historical context for this discussion. Before we get into it, let's listen to some of Ken's music. I think Ken conceived of a lot of his music from the guitar out, as in he worked through ideas on his guitar and then transposed them out into other instruments. So we'll start with a bit of Ken's solo music for guitar. Ken released a number of solo albums. I've always felt that Ken's solo performances were the most direct expression of his music. So let's start with the title track from Ken's 2011 album, Home, and then get into the discussion with Karen and Wes. Welcome to Northern Stack. I got here a uh, saxophonist, clarinetist, all around, improvised, creative music, rabble rouser, Karen Ng. Rabble rouser. <laughs> and uh, the, the man with the bass, Mr. Wes Neal. Hi. So we're here today to talk about the music of our dear friend, Ken Oldcroft, who, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, passed away about a year ago, September 2016. And Karen and Wes played with Ken in many of his projects for quite a long time. Wes especially played with Ken for how long? Oh, I, I mean, I just off the top say 10. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's somewhere in there. Right. Like probably more. <laughs> and how long did you play? In? I think I was trying to think about that the other day. Uh, five? Six? Mm -hmm. I mean, we were improvising before that, but I didn't join any bands till 
that may or maybe it's less, maybe it's four. Somewhere somewhere in there. I'm I'm of the newer right newer edition. <laughs> so West Neal's the uh, wily veteran. I I would say and, uh, long standing, uh, yeah, yeah. I would pass that just probably Joe Sabera is well, probably the, the most for Toronto. I mean, yeah, like all this time, um, you know, sort of uh looking through his music and cataloging things, you start to realize it's just like, Oh yeah, it goes like like way back like I have no idea really what was happening in Vancouver when he was there like well I mean there's lots happening but it's just like we forget that there's that era of his music making over there and then when he got here mm-hmm. I, I really feel like it seems like once he got here it was like you and Joe have been there like pretty much since he got here I feel like yeah uh yeah I'm not Ken moved from here I mean I moved here in Kind of 2001, 2002, and I think he came around that same time too okay. from Vancouver. So more, so it's been 15 years. Yeah. 16 years here. <laughs> wow. Don't remind me of my age. <laughs> <laughs> it's starting to be painful. <laughs> well, I first met Ken in, in, in Halifax. I was living in Halifax, and um, Ken's wife's sister was working for the jazz organization there. And he, on their honeymoon, uh, wanted to set up a gig, of course. And uh, so she organized the gig, and and somehow I get called to play the bass. So That's I met, cool. Yeah, so I met I met Ken there. Which wow. sister? Uh, Carmel. Carmel. Okay. Yeah, and Tom Roach was on the drums. Mm-hmm. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Oh my Solid. god! I know Solid Elizabeth Roach. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> all, all star all star cast except for me. And um, <laughs> anyway, so we had, we had a great time. And then uh, after I moved to Toronto, about a year or two after that, I just ran into Ken again here and reminded him of that gig and um, saw him around plenty. After that, yeah, because uh, he was everywhere, yeah, <laughs> uh, for a long time, yeah. Anyway, more on that later. So, Wes, when did you when did you, so you started playing with Ken 10, 15 10, years ago? 10 plus um, years, yeah. When, and what brought you guys together? How did you meet, and what was his music like at that time? I'm not really sure. I've been trying to think of what actually got us together in the first place. And I mean, uh, Evan Shaw was playing with him at the time in the trio plus one or the trio or the trio plus. One. Yeah. And uh, it might have been through that kind of connection. I'm not really sure why Ken decided to bring me into the fold. Um, I was pretty new to improvised music. Mm-hmm. Other than a year in Boston at New England, uh, I, I went from that to working on cruise ships for six years. Oh, so wow. I was in commercial, just play bass, you know, cover the ground. Uh, so I don't know really why, because I wasn't practiced up in it for sure. So you're playing more straight ahead. Yeah, sure. That was the gig that I had at the time. So you knew Evan, and I knew Evan, Evan and that was probably a way. Evan Shaw. Yeah, and that was probably a, a way in, I would imagine. But I'm kind of guessing. Right. So long ago that I'm not really sure how we met. But it wasn't from me being already involved in the scene, in and the, then in him the approaching me. Scene. Yes, exactly. So uh, no, it might have been just kind of a friend tip. You know, I'm not really sure why he chose. To believe in me but <laughs> that's, that's super cool i i mean it's always really nice to hear that when people sort of you know uh whether it's a coincidence or random or whatever mm-hmm. it really works out just based on like a almost a coincidental kind of random decision that's awesome mm-hmm. that's yeah. <laughs> no idea well yeah i mean you must have committed committed to the to the project and oh yes and, yeah, and we worked at it well the early years we fought right <laughs> <laughs> Over what? Well, I would tell him. I would try to tell him what I thought a bass should do, and he would tell me what he thought a bass should do. <laughs> and those were different things. Well, usually, it's sitting right outside of his house after a gig at the Transact. It's midnight. I've driven him home, and then we start talking. 
And it's an hour later before you finally use my van. <laughs> and during that time, yes, we were hashing out all the, like, how he felt the bass should sound in this, how he wanted to go. And I was kind of fighting because I'm coming from a different place, a different role of the bass. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things did he, was he pushing you to do that felt Not unfamiliar? be a bass player. Right. <laughs> Which was just alien to me. And, you know? and what does that mean? Like, play... Uh, well, probably in the simplest way, just to say, play like a horn and take all the freedoms that horns have in this genre, I suppose. I don't know. Just don't worry about being the grounding instrument mm -hmm. anymore. Like, yes, you have a low, you have a low sound, but you have to be as mobile as the horns are. You can't just mm -hmm. kind of... Uh, take comfort in sitting back and just playing groove or even though that's fun too, but he was, he was demanding a lot more of me mm -hmm. and yeah, we fought for a while, right? <laughs> you know, like, just, I mean, not really fought, but we, we definitely had some long discussions on what I thought the role of the bass was and what he thought the role of the bass should be. And, and did he ultimately win or did you, uh, I, Seems like I, it. Think, <laughs> I think we kind of shook hands in the middle, right, really. Okay. But, yeah. you know, bass players are subtle in the way that they do things. And, you know, I feel like I kind of won, and yet he, he probably feels he kind of won, too. Right. It's perfect. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he never gave up very easily. That's, uh, yeah. stubborn. that's, that's, that's stubborn. for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was um, uh, like a musical and a technical challenge, yeah? To, to Absolutely. Because I had to learn all the horn parts as well. Oh, and, the, and try to execute them. Yeah. You know, in unison on the bass at the tempos that we might call them at. <laughs> so, which could be anything. Yeah. So, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it was, it was, oh, absolutely. I mean, my time with Ken, like, totally improved my musicianship, mm -hmm. gave me more technique. I listen back to some of the old stuff now, and I don't even know how I did that. Mm -hmm. cool. Because, it, you know, things have changed. I'm not, I'm not involved with that in that kind of music right now that demands as much um, technical ability because you're throwing yourself right off the, you know, I'll try this idea you start into and about 10 seconds into it, you realize I'm going to, I'm going to die <laughs> if I keep playing this thing. <laughs> and yet you have to kind of hammer through it. So yeah. It yeah once you start, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta once see it through. Well, you, man. You, yeah. You've created the texture. Now you've got to support, you know, other people are going to come to what you might be doing. You might be doing. So, yeah, so um, you've really got to try to maintain it. <laughs> right. And was that, was that consistent uh, from, from early on when you started playing his music? And yeah. That, right never, until that the never changes. It's probably the nature of the music in some ways. You're, you're going to challenge yourself to some techniques that you can't. That's right. going to be a struggle to keep, unless uh, you know, unless you practice and stuff like that. But so it sounds like I, the individual lines were were mutable across different instruments. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think totally. you wanted people to really feel like that they could play the melody at any point, that they could um, take on, yeah, like to have the freedom of taking on any role of anyone. So, you know, for us to be able to play uh, certain rhythms to set. A tempo, uh, and that not have to always be on Joe to, to mm -hmm. do that. Well, um, totally, yeah. Joe Sabera, the drummer. Joe yes. Sabera, the drummer. Yeah. So I think that's cool, and I, I really like how you said that. Like, I think it's it's music that is really encouraging. Exactly that, like to throw yourself off a cliff and see what happens, and see if you can make it through, or maybe you're not going to make it through. You're going to die, so you have to change it into something <laughs> yeah, else, and like you know, gracefully you. as gracefully <laughs> as possible, and you know, and that's uh, I mean, that right there is what. I love about improvising music in general, right? Like, and it's just that 
um, Ken's compositions gave us a context to like sort of mm. work with and where things, uh, I'm really thinking about this a lot about having music where if there are certain kinds of boundaries, I mean, in his case, it was like really, really specific boundaries mm -hmm. and really hard boundaries, but um, to have that, you really uh, sort of explore, you know, what your instrument can be in the setting and like mm -hmm. to, you know, I definitely feel like there's a lot of times where I like playing sort of bass line -y sort of things on oh, saxophone. Yeah, no, and well, that was going to be my next question. If poor Wes on the bass had to learn to play like a horn, did you ever have to learn to play, play well, no, like a bass? Yeah, yeah. them to, to learn the bass parts and yeah. everything, too. And then very quickly realizing how bad my time was or like how you know, <laughs> I had no idea what was going on or not being able to like, I can't just be uh, this subtle thing in the background. I've just never considered doing that, you know, and it being hard to just be like, I need to be in this sort of, if this is the texture, I'm going to sort of sit just below and, and stay there and be not here and not fight other things or, or you know like it's kind of an it's interesting yeah it makes you think a little bit more about the possibilities of, of anything right like I, I mean we all come from schooling and working so hard at like what it needs to your function needs to be you know like mm -hmm. it's supposed to be this is your place in this hierarchy of instruments or whatever and get good at that and I'm you know, thankful for spending time on that. But now just to totally break that down is like really great. <laughs> to, especially to do it with this music. So Karen, how is it that you came to play in I, Ken's projects? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's, it's definitely Dave Clark. Like, I, I think that... Um, the drummer Dave Clark. The drummer Dave Clark, the... The wizard, Dave Clark. <laughs> We're influenced um, <laughs> by all these drumming wizards. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, uh, just even getting into the improv scene was all Dave. Like, um... So this guy, Michael, he uh, was going to have this like crazy parade of uh, horns that come in in the middle of a song at his like the end of his CD release at the music gallery. And so there was like an open call for horn players. And for whatever reason, Rob McDonald, actually, oh, I was teaching with him. Rob, yeah, Rob was <laughs> like, hey, like... Um, Guitarist Rob McDonald? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I showed up and, you know, uh, there was this crazy man playing tuba with a funny hat on, you know, and we played and he was like, oh, hey, like you should come check out uh, Witch Hoppers sometime, you know, run this monthly thing. So I started showing up to those. Um, and that really is like a, a start to that. Cause I think uh, just after that, there was uh, Rob again, uh, open call to, um, uh, for a piece for 25 saxophones by Cal Renders, which I also showed up to and then met all <laughs> the saxophone players I know now, like, you know, all the people I, uh, I like it was the first time I met Nick and Nicole Rampersad and Colin Fisher and all these people. So, um, and then through that, like once I was sort of in that scene, I think, uh, you know, just coming around to some of their shows and um, playing with Dave, uh, I, I met Ken probably at, maybe out of Woodchoppers. Maybe that was like the first thing. It's like playing together there. And he was sort of at least aware that I was around. It was just random girl that started playing scronky saxophone <laughs> in the city. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, um, but I think he, the first thing was that he, oh, sorry, yeah, no, they're random little gigs. Like I played one with him and Holger, I think at Summer There. That was like super mm -hmm. amazing. Like there were these little improvising situations for leftover daylights or whatever. And then um, he was starting Threads. And so that's what I think the first project that I actually played in with him was that. So you're playing the Threads music before? yeah. Definitely. I think we were rehearsing it um, maybe, I don't know, like not too much longer before this. Okay, so then this is like, yeah, it's, so it'll, it'll have been five years of us playing together. And not too long after, because I think at that point, 
uh, whenever uh, Slugs and Sneaky Pete came out, mm -hmm. like, because I, I remember coming to that show, you guys were releasing it at the music gallery, and I was coming, I came with, I think Rob was there too, like, we, like, came to watch, and I was, that was me sort of just listening and getting to know the music a little bit, because uh, at that point, Evan was taking a step back, and then, and he wanted, um, he wanted someone to take over, um, yeah. So. so you came to it through the improv scene more directly than... Yes. Then less. Yeah. I mean, I think, I wonder, because, um, I mean, Ken's had a really long history of playing with a lot of saxophones, saxophone players. So I think, um, you know, he had a wide choice, but maybe that's not true as a bass player, maybe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, he, like, found, he found the best one and just stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we like to make ourselves rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Valued. Somehow. Rare and valued. <laughs> <laughs> so... I want to get into a little the details of the music a little bit. You know, unfortunately, Ken's not here to tell us about it himself. Mm -hmm. But in your conversations with him, what, what were some of the influences and inspirations that he brought to his music to arrive at the way he put it together? Uh, probably some Zorn, some Dave Douglas. Uh, on top of that, I don't know, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. Like, I don't know. I've never really had that conversation with him too much. Like, like, where are you coming from? Mm -hmm. But some of his tunes definitely seem to mimic, at least early on. That stopped later on. But in some of the earlier years, yeah, there's some tunes that sound like, well, that's a Dave Douglas approach to that. I think that, uh, or, or a guess at where yeah, from. like I, I don't know that I, I mean, we talk a lot, or we talked a lot over lots of scotch. And I don't know if I remember <laughs> every conversation or if that's ever come up, but I definitely think that, um, I think it's heavily tied to his sound, which I think Joe Morris is like a big oh, uh, true. influence. And, and I mean, just sometimes when I'm, you know, practicing uh, or just improvising, I'll, I'll come across, I'll play a line, and I was like, oh, that's that's totally a Ken line, you know? And, and then you start to realize, oh, those kinds of melodies um, really come directly from his vocabulary, I think. Like, a lot of, especially for the thread stuff, I think, uh, like, these really, like, cool, twisty, chromatic sort of things um, comes from just that, that. That's his vocabulary, and that's what he sounds like when he's improvising. Um, and recently, I mean, because I've just... Um, you know, uh, Maria, Ken's wife, is, like, so kind. Like, I just uh, uh, inherited, like, you know, basically all of his CDs and a few books. Um, mm -hmm. So I just, uh, like, you know, checking out <clears throat> that and seeing um, sort of, like, you can kind of see a bit of a thread of, like, where he was like, okay, there was definitely a Sun Ra time. <laughs> there was definitely a time where he was like, I think I'm supposed to listen to, like, some, like, Ligeti to check it out and then, like, abandon that, <laughs> you know, and mm -hmm. then, like, or, like, uh, you know, the Captain Beefheart uh, time oh, was, like, a, I, I think a huge one. And, but, um, 
Uh, I also, one of the books, uh, it's the Zorn book. Uh, I'm slowly reading through that. And uh, he's really into the Bill Frizzell chapter of the like oh, yeah. uh, fingering. And then I, I yeah. you know, reading that and just being like, oh, that totally makes sense of how he was thinking, I think, of uh, uh, like sort of having interesting chords or things that ring, like notes that ring through in chords and stuff. I hear that a lot in his pieces as well. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, like I, I think I, I can't speak specifically to it, but I, I can see that there was definitely some sort of a very linear like continuous journey through through certain checking out certain things. There's definitely a lot of Dave Douglas mm-hmm. things going on in there, and there's um, yeah. Uh, but by yeah. the end, I I think Ken had created his own vocabulary. That's what makes his loss so tragic. I think yeah. he really kind of established his own vocabulary. Yeah, and he was he was ready to be Ken Aldcroft. Yeah, yeah. Now he's not he's not influenced, or he is influenced, but he's. There's, yeah. you, there's no one to compare him to. Yeah, he's like, not trying yeah, to sort not, of like no. write things in the vein of a project or whatever. True. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, in, yeah, in in my hearing of his music, a lot of it kind of seemed to come really pretty directly out of the guitar. Yeah. And the kind of lines. Oh, it's definitely that, guitar based. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, yeah. The, where where the, where the the instrument really informed a lot of the melodies. True. And a lot the way of the, the instrument set yeah. up and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know things that are easy to play in guitar that are very hard on bass. <laughs> 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 Most things. Or on you should try, right? or on try playing yeah. something a saxophone player is written. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> that is hard. I always felt the guitar to be really integral to the compositions. Yeah, and then to think of like you know who who has um sort of uh guitar influences are, I think, is just as important of a question as, like, who are his composing heroes, you know, I think he really, uh, well, I definitely know that, uh, you know, the the European sort of aspect has is, is really influenced him, too, of just being uh, someone who is interested in, in thinking about composition with improvising, you know, like, uh, and to see the guys in the ICP and, like, sort of check out, like, you know how they're doing that or how the the sort of idea of instant arranging or whatever is is he's really heavily in, influenced by that too you know i think a little less so with threads but definitely for convergence you know especially because mm-hmm. it's sort it definitely is sort of coming from a jazz idiom and it's definitely coming from uh a, a vocabulary that's sort of borrowed and and referred to sometimes and then leaves and you know uh yeah so i, I would say compositionally that's probably a big part too like the mm-hmm. amsterdam guys and yeah what were some of the approaches? I mean, you guys knew as much about it as anybody from having played it so much that made his music different from other music that you played or 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 somehow distinctive in the scene here in Toronto. I think that it just you know what Wes was saying before about uh, the ability to or like how how really truly difficult it is to to be any position in a band, like to to be that free with with music um, and dealing with just straight up hard <laughs> music to read and play and to execute, you know, the material itself is also just super hard. So, you know, I, I definitely found myself like I had to spend a lot more time on it, like just really getting to know uh, um, all this material forwards, backwards, slow down, like sped up because it all would sound different in any of those contexts and to be able to hear it and recognize it and then answer it or join in like that's a a lot and you know as you're doing that maybe something else uh, another part of the song is happening over there and you might want to join in so just to know the material so well that you can navigate all of that is like exactly you can, really crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly it, yeah it was yeah that was the hard part about all of it was um he would leave so much material for you to work with mm-hmm. all of which can be mixed and matched and layered yeah. and you had to know every part yeah 
I don't, in I don't order think to I can... hear it when somebody else is inferring it or yeah. playing it directly, because there's a, usually a, some kind of maelstrom of uh, improvisation that kind of that this stuff is kind of interjected into, yes. and so you you have to keep your mind in about three different places. Yeah, one on what your end goal is of the tune, yeah. and, <laughs> and two in what's going on live around you, and then um, and then trying to connect with other people to interject. It's usually somewhat predetermined, but you have a, a selection. Yeah. And you can play it any way you want. So yeah. live, you're trying to communicate with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Anyway, all these uh, all these elements made it quite difficult. My understanding of, of how the music is put together just from talking with Ken and hearing the band a million times was of kind of modular sections. So I'm just to this, sum yeah. up what you're trying to what you guys are saying <clears throat> about True. it, you know, and correct me where I'm wrong, of different bits of material that then the musicians could bring in at different times and mm -hmm. play in different he ways. He treated every tune that he wrote that way, even though there might be, uh, there is a, a path through the tune and it, it might involve three different sections, but they're all kind of related to each other in some way, usually. Mm -hmm. But they might be quite different in tone. Mm -hmm. So uh, where, where am I going with that? Uh, <laughs> just trying to, yeah, just trying to um, communicate with other members. Mm -hmm. And he encouraged everyone to call a different section at any time. He right. he wasn't always uh, he wasn't always directing everything. Yeah. He he wanted the band to get strong enough with the material that they would then call within it, within itself outside of what he might be doing. Yeah, like so. Okay. I um, think uh, so. Everything was very modular, I guess you know, and yeah. so mix and match kind of. Maybe just to clarify for anyone who's never uh, seen or heard this music, is that there are sections within like either little melodic statements or uh, maybe backgrounds that he'd um, write little tiny uh, cue numbers. And so the idea for Convergence is that at any point, anyone, if they had some sort of a musical arranging vision, then we would have a whole system of hand signals to cue parts. And you could cue someone across the room to, to join in with you, or you could play it. And what's really interesting about Convergence is that that... Um, yeah, that role is open to anyone in the band. So in Threads, he's the only one cueing things, and he's sort of the arranger, and that's still happening uh, sort of in real time, like he's just making these decisions. But to have something where this is, you know, I really consider Convergence his band, like he's the mastermind behind it, but then to relinquish some of that control for someone who likes to definitely be in control. Right, it's a very interesting no thing. Like, so, you know, so now he's opened up... Um, the responsibility and the um, creative uh, ability to everyone in in the band, and so we, we know how it just in general group dynamics in any context can go. So once you have that word, you've opened it up not to a one person, two person, but six people. You mm -hmm. know, then that can be a really interesting thing. And so there's things that are built in there that were it's totally going to fail, or you're going to fight like musically, or like. And I think he really liked that aspect of it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the same way that Zorn would like, you know, he wants people to kind of fight a little bit in Cobra. He wants like, he wants uh, sort of built in organic conflict, you know, within the music, mm -hmm. which I think is super interesting. And that's definitely something that nobody else uh, in that I've in these bands that I've played in wants that. Why would you want that? That sounds crazy. Right? <laughs> like, but it really made for interesting music, you know, like so you yeah. want going after the disagreements. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, because mm -hmm. I think that there are really nice, you know, uh, things that can ha happen from it. And I think that you build a, some sort of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, an expectation just by, you know, like, cause we would always, yeah. Like, I mean, I think Scott 
had a lot to say. Scott like Thompson, Scott Thompson, Thompson the trombonist yes. <laughs> and artistic director. Um, uh, he he had lots to say. He was queuing all the time. I just sort of felt like, you know, um, I, I, yeah, I was just like, I've done all this work. I want to play too, you know? So I would queue a lot and he'd always be like, Wes, why aren't you queuing, you know? And oh, then, I never queued enough. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, you also had the disadvantage of that both of your hands are busy. Like, same with Joe. It's just like, totally, <laughs> it's, like, it's really difficult for you guys to do that. It's difficult to queue from the bass. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also so, diff so difficult to, to do auditory cues from the bass because no one listens. <laughs> so you can be doing something and yeah. nobody's going to catch why it. Is no it's one not that we're me. not listening. It's just you're very low. Oh. <laughs> Is that yeah. what it is? Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, you know, it's funny, our last, the last recording we did with Ken uh, was uh, Joe's uh, Wirecutter Suite. And uh, we <laughs> we recorded and Ken was uh, like, we stopped one section. I think we went through a bunch and he's just like so ecstatic. He was just like, what's happening? Wes is queuing. Like Emily's <laughs> like, everything is like, we've gotten to this point where now everything that he is used to us doing has changed now. And like for one moment there, we all switched roles and it was just like this glorious success to him, you know, that, you know, he, he's finally got it so that, yeah, everyone it, it's, we're free of this sort of, uh, predisposed or, 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 whatever um our, our tendencies tendencies to do things <laughs> he did yeah. he loved that word yeah <laughs> tendencies yeah and then yeah. so but then you know you don't have that until you build like what are tendencies if you don't have like a long-standing thing and you've built some sort of a you know uh, yeah like and and to also just like okay this is like this is where i start i have to do it this one way before i can move away and so that takes time and we had that time to sort of have this like sort of base uh, like of what everyone usually does. And then when you do break it, it's even better, right? Opposed to it just always, if we were always switching all the time, I don't mm -hmm. think it would have been quite the same. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Definitely wouldn't have felt as glorious to him, I think. <laughs> he was like so stoked. <laughs> yeah. How did you go about rehearsing and, and learning this, the music? Like, so you've, you've, you talked already about having to be home on your own and just try to get the parts under your, oh, under, yeah. under your fingers and that being its own <laughs> challenge. And then, uh, when you got together with the, with the group, how, how did he conduct rehearsals? It was still a lot of just running the ink most of the time. And then he might do a couple of little exercises. He might, uh, he might put two or three sections together and then just work on, uh, improv, just communication within the band. But a lot of the time, when it came to his written music, it was hard enough just to try to together get it. Like get know, the dots, yeah, the like dots. play the dots and try. I mean, I, I, I do have some memories that, well, at least with threads, maybe because there was less written material, um, you know, to like, okay, we get there and it's just like, let's just improvise for a bit, you know, and like sort of like as like a let's get to know each other real <laughs> and like, um, you know, we'd run through the dots. We would, once that felt you know, not great, but semi, you know, uh, doable at a much slower tempo <laughs> than we would try, you know, okay, let's do the section and have, let's take turns queuing or let's, yeah, like Wes said, let's, okay, let's only do section two and three. Uh, and so let's try improvising now and we'll just only take material from sections two and three or let's, you know, and I think it was, it was a pretty um, uh, standard kind of way to run through rehearsals is just, I mean, they were just really hard <laughs> to play. So, you know, it would right. take So time. a lot of time just trying to, so he's very concerned about getting, at least trying to get the, oh, the composed he, yeah, parts he, down. Yeah, yeah, he really yeah. wanted those composed parts to come out and yeah. sound strong when they, when everything coalesced to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he would definitely want that written material heard and not lost in all the improv. 
Yeah. In the right. same way I was just saying too, like, I mean, just start there and just like, if that is really, really solid and down, that's the only way we're going to be able to break it down and, and mix it up and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, play. play did most of that happen in uh, the breaking down and mixing up? Did most of that happen in live performance? Yeah. I think there are just standard things you would maybe, um, things like combining sections or, or, you know, like we would never uh, be, well, I mean, like uh, we would, I guess we would play things at different tempos. Sometimes like that'd be a thing. Yeah, uh, I think that it's just like the the cool things were all happening live for sure, not in rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> rehearsals just the hard parts. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's hard music. <laughs> yeah, <know. laughs> yeah, no, it was really like a couple hours of like really trying to nail this stuff with everybody <laughs> yeah. at different tempos. Yeah, feeling yeah, a little dizzy like, after. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Going home now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Heel on the gate. Yeah. Uh, so did you, uh, you know, he worked pretty sort of stable group of musicians who Ken worked with for a long time who were very loyal to him and he was certainly very loyal to himself and that was a big part I think of of his thing and why what what we loved about his music is his commitment to people Mm -hmm. did you have a sense that he was writing stuff specifically for the people involved and sort of using their voices in particular ways or or was that sort of subsumed by this general idea of writing parts that everybody needed to be able to play I don't know. That's that. I I don't know if I could answer that for Ken if he actually wrote parts thinking of the individual players. I'm sure he knew, like he knew his working band. Yeah. And uh, he wouldn't probably try to throw something in that was out of the range of one of those players. But I I don't know really. Yeah. I mean, I think you know. I think it kind of. And I think we've talked about this. Uh, actually, I think that was like one of the first full conversations I had with you at the Transac while you're subbing in for Threads gig, mm. <laughs> um, where uh, it wasn't maybe so much for specific people, but definitely instrumentation was like a huge part, I think. Um, and I think in, in the sense in Convergence, because you have to be able to like switch roles, it wasn't necessarily with like specific people in mind. But I do think that, um, again, after looking through all of his catalog, um, I think there are compositions out there that he wrote specifically for people or for very specific context or like threads was definitely, you know, like he wanted analog synth and he wanted electric bass and he definitely wanted saxophone. And like, so that, that I think comes more. And then, you know, just trying to find the people that would be open to the concept that also play those instruments, you know, like um, that's probably much closer than to like, I'm going to write for you, Jason right. Robinson, or um, yeah, because it's not like he really pushed you guys around a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on, on your instruments, rather than setting up uh, frames for you to do your thing. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a nice way, of course. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get into listening to some stuff here, but just before we get to hearing some things, just wondering about what what you think Ken might have thought about the role of the listener in his music. So I'm specifically thinking about, we've talked a lot about the different processes that he used in, in his composing and of if it, it was important for the listener to understand these processes or know them or what might be expected of the listener to get into this music. Well, some were curious and would come up to ask like how or what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys doing with your hands? What are, what are these? Yeah, the hand, cues, yeah. the hand cues were a popular audience uh, yeah. You know, thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he overly cared what they thought of it, as long as it came in. As long it was more important for him that it 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 had a consistent body at the end of it. Like it was all about just the performance and if it was good or not, and kind of you left it up to people to decide how they liked it. But they did find some of our antics kind of amusing. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. he's kind of I, I mean. 
He's so funny. Like, I don't think uh, it, he, he's ever been a person that is writing music to please an audience, really, in that way, right? Like, he's there to, I mean, all of his recordings are really more for a documentation sort of sense, you know? And I think that live is something, like, he's so practical, right? Like, live is how, well, all the cool, like, stuff will come out. And recording is good because it'll practice that music, and that music will be its best if we do these things. But um, whether an audience is there or not, I don't think even really bothered him in that way right like it was just about making sure that we were doing whatever needed to happen to make the music good <laughs> so it's like yeah. and if there's an audience there then that's great and like just like any other performer when people come up and ask about his process he's super stoked to talk about it right and yeah and is happy that they're interested but I don't know if that he um yeah really cared like I mean I think just you know, on a basic level sure maybe he's hoping that he's people are making connections and hearing like uh why we went from one section or how we went from one section to another, how things are melting in and out or happening at the same time. But I don't think he really cared about the opinion <laughs> of a listener. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not wondering about that so much, but just about what the listener experience of the music might be, you know, and, and, and obviously being intrigued by the, the hand signals or whatever, like trying to figure out and, uh, oh, and maybe asking to, to look out. at the they, scores or yeah, whatever. Yeah, definitely. There's lots of that, I think. Yeah, no, we, we would usually have a few people come up at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. And kind of, yeah, what were you doing? Yeah, what? Or how is this happening? Like, yeah, how did you guys suddenly come out of nowhere? Like, yeah, exactly. And, and all of a sudden you're into this theme. Mm -hmm. And so we duped them. Yeah. Right? Because we were inferring the thing the whole time. Yeah. But then finally, anyway, that, that's the way the music usually works. Mm -hmm. Well, let's listen to a little bit of it. Uh, maybe we'll start with, so the two groups we've been talking about here, the Convergence, um, which, which Wes is a career member of, and, uh, and, and Karen came in at the latter half. And, uh, and, and the Threads group, which Karen was part of and Wes was not. Uh, Wes has brought along something from Convergence Ensemble we're going to have a listen to. What do, you, what do you got for us? Well, I brought in the, the Saskatoon album, the last Convergence one released, was it? Before, um, or did we do, uh, what was his last big sweep one? Uh, tangent? I mean, tangent. I think... I think this was released... Before. It was recorded, recorded in 2007, I think, in Saskatoon. Yeah. Uh, we were on tour at the time, and... Uh, I don't know. When I oh, heard this album, I was really impressed with just, it's just a live performance. Unfortunately, there's no uh, trumpet or anything. I guess we're down to a quintet on this yeah, one. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think this got released after, like, because uh, Slugs happened, right? Slugs and uh, Sneaky Pete happened. That was recorded and then released. And then he ended up releasing this after, even though it was recorded before. Because mm. I'm pretty oh, so sure it came before. Uh, it came before that, but he released it after because mm. I don't know what. Well, well, quite a long time after it was recorded. Yeah, oh, yeah. like I mean, oh, I yeah. played yeah. like we played the release of this at, at the Transac, and I was just like, I like was nowhere near this band <laughs> when this happened. Yeah. Well, what we're learning here is that Ken released so much music, even the people who played on it <laughs> yeah. can't, can't keep track of what, oh, hap oh, what happened. Yeah. What happened? That's true. Yeah. That's true. So and then tangent after that, and then you right like yeah, I think. Kind of well, so a relatively old, yeah. recent release, but but an older older, older recording. recording. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. That obviously had a uh, yeah. Evan Shaw's on saxophone and yeah. and, mm -hmm. and had a special place for Ken if he'd been sitting on it that long to yeah, uh, totally. to dig mm -hmm. it out. So um, and uh, and Wes, I think it's smoking. Yeah, Wes, it's enjoyed, really you listened. You enjoyed listening back to it. Oh yeah, oh, it brought tears to my eyes first. Yeah, right. And then, <laughs> and then I loved it again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's uh, I think so. It's what uh, what what tune do you got here? Um, well, I think we should start with the first one, which is uh, our hospitality is the first one on this. Here we go.
That's our hospitality from the Saskatoon 2007 Convergence Ensemble. Wes, you were there. You played it. I, I think I did. There's <laughs> some documentation of it. Yeah. So how was, this, uh, how was this particular piece put together? And what was the relationship between the improvising and the composing? It was, uh, I mean, as you can hear, it's, it's, it boils down to that kind of nasty bass groove, which, you know, other people... Uh, Evan adopted it there for a while, and uh, I don't. I don't. It just for me, it was just an example of um, of the way Ken approached most of the tunes that we played in, in this period, anyway, because they were still mostly related. Like we would focus on one composition, which would start with some kind of improvisation, usually hinting at what's to come later. That develops, and at some point. It all kind of comes um, it comes together. In this case, it was Joe just you know, da 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 da, the big rock fill into the groove. But uh, but in most cases, we'd start with some kind of an open improvisation, hinting at the material, 
and then it would start to come together and, and more and more people would join in on the main theme, which then would get exploded later once it was established. And different soloists would come in or out. Uh, different people would take different parts in or out. On that one, I just wanted to rock and roll, so. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I'm a bass player, Ken. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but most of, the, most of the approach was like that. It's, you know, kind of an uh, open-ended in, state the theme, trade things around, share roles, and then start moving toward your next goal, which was probably a new tune with a different flavor. So on this record, are you sort of knitting together distinct tunes? Yeah, there's definitely a segue between the first and the second, and yeah, it would turn into a, like a full set of music without any real discussion. We just, we would put the tunes up in order, and we would kind of work through them sequentially, but each one was sort of treated similarly, I would say. So this um, this is a bit of an older piece, or maybe it's kind of mid period, I guess. Oh yeah, it's definitely mid period. <laughs> okay, mid so, or older. Yeah. <laughs> so how does how does this piece fit into the larger project of that? It band? only expanded. It only just got more. His pieces got longer <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and harder. <laughs> I guess, like, yeah, like, because I I think you know, like, it, it was. Uh, that there were like you know almost like lead sheets like there were tunes or there were charts and then uh mm. slowly it started going into these suites right like, yeah you started writing longer longer yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when all the queuing and everything started to begin just to try to organize that material so at this, at this point we're still kind of jamming on a tune more mm, or less yeah. i would say I think, and uh, like after again, like working through all of his music, like it was kind of shocking to see some of the dates on some of this, where I was just like, you know, oh, I know these songs from here because that's that's how I I that's at that point this was being released, and I had to learn these songs, and then you'd see like like ninety seven, like what, and because that's when he was working on the Buster Keaton stuff, and that's where this material comes from. So it's like he has these. Um, songs that will repeat and be in different contexts throughout time. Like he'll always go back. And I think we did go back for this gig, uh, the CD release of this. We went back and put in cues for little sections. Like he decided like... That so sort of retroactively adding current yeah, kind of ideas. performance practices onto the what older... If that's yeah. what you're pushing right at the moment, yeah. Yeah. yeah throw that material in live. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, that was a great example. It was a fun, fun one. to hear that. It was yeah. a fun one. Fun I, to yeah, hear. I thought the band was really tearing on that tour. So yeah, no sense. I wanted to at least bring in something from that because I did it's one of my favorite Convergence albums, just the way the band was working mm -hmm. that particular night and a fairly decent recording off the board. So I love yeah, like it was good to, good to have it. hearing, you know, him uh, like with, with this, like he barely ever used pedals, you know, like, but it's just like to hear him like rocking, like distorted, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or, and you know, and some of the other ones, um, hearing him using, uh, like a delay or looping, like, it's like a crazy thing. Like that's like, you know, he doesn't use them often, and when he does, he uses them really interestingly, I feel mm, like. He was and using them more at this in this At this time. point, yeah, yeah. He was using a lot of loops uh, was really good. during that period. Yeah, when I first met Ken on, on the gig, he was he had a long delay loop pedal, and the first time I'd ever seen or heard that. Yeah. And so uh, that's kind of what I associated him with, with. back then. But, oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, he definitely trimmed out the effects as uh, Yeah, as, he as got more along. lean, yeah. Yeah, he just was exploring the guitar itself and what yeah. he could pull out of it. Well, let's hear um, something from Threads now, which is a bit of a different kind Quite of group. Different loop. Maybe, um, Karen, before we listen to something, can you maybe you can break down a little bit what the, the kind of different approaches for these two groups were? Yeah, I mean, this one, um, I, again, it, it's it was interesting. Like, the one main thing was that, yeah, he was, uh, you were no longer 
uh, in a position to queue things like he was the only one that was queuing uh, things. I, I mean, we would queue, there would be melodies that uh, I think sometimes we could just, you know, catch eyes and like, and like, let's the two of us do this. But there were certain uh, aspects that he was the only one that's good, that was going to queue, you know, um, so that's different. I think that, uh, you know, the there this album has three songs. All three of them are, are quite different. We're going to listen to number three because I think that's the most interesting one. Or is it two? It's the slow one. Uh, <laughs> figure out which one that is uh, in a sec. But um, Threads One was uh, there w were these series of uh, rhythms and no pitches. Um, so those would there there would be a pulse that would never change, and our rhythms uh, we would just pick these little ry rhythmic cells and then play whatever. And then there would be these huge soli sections like full full on melodies that he would cue. So we could you know catch eyes with each other and play rhythms together or not or just play them and uh, he would he would cue these uh, solo sections. There's one that is like swing, the whole thing is swing and it is just one like a four page long just like a bunch of melodies and so we would uh, either play them together and one person would be soloing or you'd leave that and you just work your way through twice like so it'd just be this really long thing where we would uh, there'd be improvising going and you would connect with these lines and then it would fall away again and that, that's sort of the idea I think is that it was really static like Things are just gonna go, you know, and um, and uh, the one that I want to listen to, which I'm pretty sure is the third one, is the something that I've never seen him uh, really do. Like it's uh, we had three big sections of these really um, uh, open sort of chordal pyramid stacky things, and then so we would play that through. It's really slow and beautiful, and then we would get to uh, we'd finish that, and then he would just pick. A person or or two people and be like you guys improvise and then he'd wait and then he'd cue in the next one so like that's something that i haven't quite seen in the same way there's usually like a, a material that you can like cue within or there'd be uh some sort of a, uh i don't know they'd be they'd be like kind of lychee or kind of uh melodic in that way and this one's really sparse and stacky and it's not the same um and the improvising also that we did, we're, we're just a pitch set, which I also haven't seen him do ever. Um, so I, I really do feel like this was like just this random place. I mean, this album, I guess uh, we were talking about influences and I haven't talked about this yet, but this is uh, sort of with uh, Henry Threadgill in mind. I think than everything else it's like definitely less of a insular thing not that it's insular but just I'm not thinking of the right word just to have you know a tune like this is a tune or this is a suite and this is like there is some sort of direction through it this one's a lot um, more disjunct in in what's happening I think okay we'll put it on here we think it's number three yes I think it's third three <laughs> <laughs> okay
this feels different um, because of what? What makes it? I think that just the material itself like seems different. Like the approach, it's not uh, coming from a set um, piece or melody. Like in, in the way that like uh, for, you know, Tangent was, uh, uh, you know, like you would go through, there's a melody and there are sections and you go through. Um, this one was like really sparse and really uh, based on, or just it sounded like there was a lot of attention to how these chords or or uh, melodies, which were pretty far in range, like uh, and how that sounded together. Um, yeah, and it, it's slow. It's slow and sparse. Maybe that's what it is. Is that like you know most of his things I would still consider like ballads, like you know like tangent whatever that one is, where it's like the like it's still a song almost. Like and this one is really I, I it feels a lot more disjunct in that way. It's 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 sounds that are happening or material that's more, happening more textural yes yeah so that that makes me feel like it's different I think it's different that um he wasn't uh sort of into the like let's all like you know take chances together and you guys can all cue whenever it's just like he had a vision and we were there to 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 make that happen you know opposed to creative uh arranging input at any point um, so this is not as collaborative yes yeah which I think he's always been uh trying to push that right so it's just like this I, this was interesting to me and it was like oh wow like we this is not that and the improvising that happened we weren't like yeah like uh starting with an imp like improvising and quoting things and slowly moving into things or we weren't like playing the song and then improvising and then that was it it had a really different sort of path through the material um because things would just return and uh like that what i was saying before like sort of a strange kind of staticness for things like weren't getting like intense and and then quiet or whatever. It was just sort of going the whole time, which I thought was really interesting. I guess that's sort of the idea of like thread. There are all these things that were happening and intertwining and continuing on, but it would never grow or or get quiet and, and right. be so dynamic. More, more continuous rather than narrative. Yeah, yeah. And dynamically too. It's just like it's not the same as it was in, in Convergence where it's like a natural sort of thing to like, well, like to, get grow and then get quiet yeah, or whatever just kind of like yeah plugging away <laughs> and uh so that and i again like for the rest of his music that i've i've sort of been able to hear and and see that's not true for any of them either so I'd, i i feel like this was sort of something that he was really starting to work towards that was um a, a different than what he had been doing so far right so there's a trajectory there and and, and pretty clear boundaries between these projects yeah is, was there a difference in, in either of these projects for you between the recorded versions and the and the live versions? Like, did you different way of approaching stuff when you're recording it versus playing it live? Recording, there was so much material to get through that to represent the actual written material. Mm -hmm. But I feel we were always a little trepidatious on that. We wanted to execute that material. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it came to live performances, he would often just pull sections out of whatever, this section out of that suite, this section out of that, and, and throw the three pieces on, on the stand and say, okay, you, and he, he usually did dictate who he wanted to start the improvisation mm -hmm. that would lead. Uh, but uh, at that point, you kind of, you were just picking and choosing. You'd have all three charts up. So if you decided to play this theme, you know, you could do it your, yourself or you could make eye contact with somebody, connect with them to do it together. Uh, there was a lot more of that going on in the live than what actually comes off on the recordings. Although all the material's there and we're doing our best. But, yeah. but live, it was really, you didn't know what three tunes or whatever little 
micro set he was going to put together for material to improvise on. It sounds like what you're saying is in the recordings the the sort of rip material was privileged a bit more than. Well, we have to get it out, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> too. I mean, it. I think that's like you know maybe we weren't we weren't thinking of that intentionally, but that's what happened. Just in the same way, I like the issue here is like recording versus live performance in general, not mm -hmm. specific to this mm -hmm. context, but just being like, you know, yeah, you're recording, it's feeling a little stuffy, like you're on a time limit. You just want to make sure that it's going to sound okay. When I think live, we're much more free to like to take some chances or. Uh, not be phased by you know how it's going to sound on this recording that mm -hmm. someone's spending lots of money on and yeah yeah totally. <laughs> so i wonder if you know right like, so just sort of more pressure to actually document what the pieces are yeah yeah, yeah 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 exactly i think and so then, uh, uh, we tried to uh, you know to add i mean it's all we did add that to it but, yeah uh, but it feels that it focused on the written yeah perhaps yeah, I'm sure he would have said like like oh well don't do that like you know be, right. be, be as free as you want and we're all just like okay you know but yeah. we still want to like just I, I know for me personally totally like I'm just like I want to make sure I'm executing it well you know mm, and like document the material yeah yeah totally it'd be a shame for it to not you know because there's so much and it's really good so you want to make sure it's it's, it's <laughs> in there somewhere but live the gloves were off pretty yeah. Much, right? yeah yeah so how I mean you both spend a lot of time working with Ken and how has that time and working through that music informed your own creative practices and how you think about playing music, you know, your own or, or with other people's. For me, it gave me, it, it opened me up to a whole new tool I can use and I'm not afraid to use it anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I you, mean, some... you mean the bow? <laughs> <laughs> it won't speak of that. Oh, sorry, right. <laughs> it won't speak of that. I wish that was better. Yeah, it's just, it, now I, now when, if, if I were to put uh, a selection of my own stuff together or actually get around to writing some, <laughs> It would probably involve some of the things that Ken has, you know, that has brought to me, really, and given me a forum to work on it and allowed me to be in the band that long that eventually, by the end of it, he stopped telling me anything. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, so we can uh, assume that you got to where he wanted you to be because he wouldn't have given up on telling you stuff if, if there was still, if there's still stuff to tell you. So, oh, yeah. uh, so I guess we can assume he won. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He did. I'm a better man for right. it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I have uh, just so, so very much uh, to be thankful for what he's he's taught me because I mean, just being younger and uh, sort of being, uh, you know, welcomed into this crazy thing that he's doing, you know, like there is uh, so much that I, I feel musically that I've been opened up to because of him. Like, and I think uh, not only just mindset and creatively of like the really being uh, truly open to possibility and not being afraid to fail. Like that's kind of part of the point too, that he really was the first person to really open me up to that. And the value of um, uh, his just work ethic, which is insane, mm, you know, insane. like it's very inspiring mm. to see someone uh, just have so much output, you know, of, of, uh, you know, recordings and, and just like, uh, wanting to, to like, you know, get, get her done. Like he's really, uh, like did so much, like I was really inspired by that. And I think he also, you know, um, is, uh, you know, specifically to think about, yeah, sort of how to think about composition versus improvisation, how they're supposed to work together or how they can work together, um, and not against each other at all, you know, like, um, that that's, it's huge. And he's also the reason, I mean, I, uh, had anything to do with my time in, in Europe. Like that's a huge thing too. And that was such a huge part of my musical career and growth that I was just like, you know, that's, that's all him, you know, like he, he really, uh, 
uh, was a, a great guide through uh, what I was no idea was going on. You know, it's just like just here wanting to make some some sounds and play with some people, and he really uh, gave me a really strong direction. Um, even though, like, I mean, it's not to say that we agreed on things because we, yeah, we totally like lots of nights of, of of arguing and debating and fighting over stuff. You know, it was like really uh, great to have someone to kind of. Uh, you did love that. Yeah, no, it was super <laughs> fun. We were, oh, like, it was all in, it was all for good. good. Yeah, yeah I mean, so there are so many. So like, I think Mike Friedman um, uh, was was talking about that too. Like, where he, I think he was just like, there's so many stories that people have where they like drove him home and then they're sitting outside <laughs> at 3 a.m. like arguing about something because they really like, you know, he really cared and would really like to talk about it. And I was so into it too. So it's just like there are a lot of things that I think, um, you know, uh, in terms of opinion or like personal opinion that we didn't agree on, but it's just like he he gave me a really really clear path of like what what things could be like, you know, depending on what my priorities are, which is what we argued about. <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, of, like, things that could happen and then checking it out and him him being right, you know, like, him being, like, it's good that I at least took some time for this and took some time to consider this and and to see, uh, yeah, see what is possible. Like, it's yeah, that's a huge, huge thing for me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, clearly we all we all miss him. Um, and so just maybe wind down here with, uh, with one more question about how you think we should remember Ken in our music making going forward and generally what we can do now that he's not with us. Well, I think what Joe is doing is mm-hmm. amazing. I like, agree. so, you know, uh, Joe Sobera, the drummer, um, was, uh, uh, took over, like Ken had a monthly, uh, the second Wednesday of every month at the Transac at the 10 PM slot. And, um, after he passed, he's using it as an opportunity to uh, continue having his music, ma- uh, you know, played, uh, but also being open to just being like, there. Th- these are people that loved him and cared about him and uh, were colleagues and whatever. Let's get together and just improvise. Because, I mean, uh, my time in Europe with him was definitely, uh, with him and Scott, um, where it was definitely just like, let we just need to play as much as possible with whoever's around, you know, and he really loved meeting people and, and putting random things together and improvising. So keeping that sort of spirit up too. And then of course, you know, we're, um, still in the process of doing it, but having his music available, um, to be, uh, taken out and, you know, on, uh, you can sort of rent it out of the CMC, uh, once the process is done, it's a, that's a great thing. So hopefully someone will like, I need to, do a paper or learn some music from a Canadian composer and will for whatever reason stumble upon Ken's music and then have their minds blown <laughs> how they're supposed to pull this thing off. And it's, it's <laughs> interesting and it's not, um, it's not like uh, what anyone else is doing. So it's, I think there's, um, you know, he's done a great job setting himself up for a way to, cause he's so great at documenting things and whatever. And he's an organized guy, you know, it's like pretty uh, easy to make sure that his music is still out there. And played, and I mean, I don't think any of us will have any trouble uh, remembering or, or like keeping his spirit alive because we obviously, I mean, we all have been so affected by his musical, uh, you know, influence that it's going to be in us and it's going to be coming out in whatever way uh, we choose to musically, like in any context that we play, and he's going to kind of be there a little bit, right? So, yeah. Mm, I couldn't say it better, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. There's so much out there to uh, to listen to. I'll put a link in the show notes here to yeah. the very deep catalog of, um, <laughs> of, of Ken Allcroft. Uh, have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rest good. of us might now have a chance to keep up with yeah. him. <laughs> there's a lot of excellent YouTube stuff. I mean, I was looking through, uh, there's like a thing of him and Andy Haas, and uh, New York is like super good. And like, and he, um, 
uh, I I found a tangent like live. He put one up of like a tangent uh, um, or us playing tangent at the Transag, and it's amazing. I was just like, oh, oh my god, this is like I even know it was on there. Yeah, but there's like he, you know he was pretty um, uh, diligent about like putting stuff out there, so it's all out mm. there. You can just even Google him or YouTube him. There's lots of stuff, but then also a very large catalog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, totally. thanks so much, uh, Wes Neil Kerning, um, insight into Ken's music, and hopefully everybody goes and checks it out. Really appreciate your taking the time oh, to talk about yeah, it here Appreciate the opportunity to talk about. Ken yeah, we were just saying it's really nice to talk about. Music. I mean, there's been, it's been such a crazy time because he was a friend too. You know, you spend all this time talking sort of uh, about experiences, like stories and emotionally how this is all going. And it's kind of cool to just actually get in and talk about the music. Like, I don't, and we're saying, I don't think we've ever actually even done that. <laughs> you know? Except with him, obviously. But, yeah. like, you know, like to just sit down and with friends and talk about this crazy, crazy man who's, uh, you know, just has done so much. You know, it's, yeah. it's really cool to talk about the little nitty gritty. Musical. Well, that's the idea of this show. Um, yeah. Northern Static's all about the nitty-gritty yeah. of, the, <laughs> of the composing process. Yeah. Um, yeah so, good thing uh, you're doing. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll we'll see about that. But <laughs> it's uh, you guys are great to give a little insight into Ken. He's not here to talk about his music himself. And as I said at the top of the show, he was the inspiration for doing the show in the first place. So um, pretty lucky to be able to cover it in some way yeah. with people who knew it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again. <laughs> and that's the end of our show. Thanks so much to Karen and Wes for taking the time to speak with me. You can listen to and purchase Ken's music on his website, kenaldcroft.com. And as Karen said, there's some great YouTube clips of Ken that will help you put a face to the sounds you heard here today. Please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get these things. More importantly, tell your friends to have a listen. You can find me on SoundCloud or on my website, petejohnstonmusic.com. We'll play things out here with an improvisation between Ken and his longtime collaborator, trombonist Scott Thompson. This is from their album Red and Blue, and the tune is called Blue. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.